Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. <laughs> Welcome to 51 First Dates, a podcast about a dating rum springer making dating not as awful as it is. And we are so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining us. I'm not Thank things. you so much for being here. Um, we are thrilled you're here. We are thrilled to have an awesome guest today who we're going to talk about in a minute. We are thrilled that it's springtime. We are thrilled that people are getting vaccinated. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just talking about so things I'm excited things. about. And yet today's topic is breakups, but it is not a downer <laughs> of an episode. We are so lucky to be joined by Amy Chan. If you have not heard of her, she's the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp. It's this amazing retreat. It's like a retreat that you can go on and they take a scientific and spiritual approach, which we love science and, you know, spiritualism on this podcast to breakups and getting through them. She's the editor-in-chief of the Heart Hackers Club, which is an online magazine focusing on the psychology behind love, lust, and desire. And, you know, potentially, most importantly, she is the author of Breakup Bootcamp, a book you must read yesterday. I'm like knocking things over as I speak, excuse me. But um, Amy's book is so incredible, whether you're going through a breakup, whether you've gone through a breakup, hi, all of us. And that can be any kind of breakup. Even if you just want to change your perspective on relationships and the stories we tell your, ourselves, we talk about it a lot with her in the interview, but I, 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 this is like, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. There are tangible exercises. We love tangible exercises. So really excited for you to hear this interview and to check out her book as well. Completely. It's so great. She's so smart and cool and together and um, we're both a little bit obsessed. So um, we'll have that interview in just a little bit, but for now, we'll do our business. Um, if you are new, we are a dating podcast, and um, you want to do the spiel? Should I do the spiel? Do you want to do the spiel? I feel like I just talked for so long, Liza. I would okay, love I'll do to do the spiel. We're a dating podcast. Um, a bet when we started out, Kimmy was going on a first date every week we were talking about the first dates anonymously and kindly we're all about dating positivity and enjoying the process of dating finding your power in the process of dating um spoiler can we met her um wonderful partner while going on dates for this podcast so we've recruited other daters we've had a couple other daters we currently have a dater but I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but there is a, um, what's it called? A pandemic. So dating's really hard. <laughs> I, I was like, wait, what don't I know? <laughs> um, but yeah, dating's really hard right now. So in COVID, we've kind of like pivoted a little bit. We talk a little bit about what we're watching on TV and how we're getting through in our mental health, but mostly we're still dating focused. Um, so that's the spiel and you can also like us rate subscribe review follow us on instagram at 51 first dates pod you can email us if you have questions thoughts concerns a worse first date story anything at 51 first dates pod at gmail.com and you should join our secret facebook group it's a really like nice cool warm supportive community where people talk about dating in a really uh in a really good way in a really positive way like n no meanies no bad vibes just like 
-hmm. people asking questions and being cool to each other, which is really nice. No um, buttheads allowed. Is no really buttheads. Yeah. And like, you know, as we strive to be dating influencers, LOL, um, we are not a scaled podcast to the point where there it's too big of a group and things have, you know, gone into anti-vaccination territory or anything bonkers like that. So I'm just going to echo Liza and say that that is a very fun internet group. I will also shout out. Um, I will shout out myself on our Instagram now. I've been putting a topic up every Friday, calling it Feelings Friday, so originally, no, God. Um, and having people, you know, ask questions, share experiences. I have not replied to the Feelings Friday from this past week, but I will today, Tuesday, when this is in your ears. And it was all about the stories we tell ourselves in dating, and people shared some very vulnerable things, some which broke my heart. Um, but it just reminds me of what we're about to talk about with Amy as well. So just wanted to shout out, you know, our Instagram. <laughs> Also, if you're new here, Liza and I are the least influencery podcast hosts ever, but we love, we aspire to be like, I want Liza on TikTok crushing it, and I want myself getting free product. That is the dream. One day, it will happen more. Okay. So, Liza, what are you consuming? Oh, sorry. Consumption corner. No, that was it. Okay. I have had, I mean, I'm in like a little bit of a uh, hellacious work period, so I have not been really watching that much tv that i haven't already talked about i'm keeping up with my drag race season 13 i'm keeping up with i actually finished better call saul and i restarted breaking bad which i jeff has not seen but i have seen Ooh. but i haven't ever rewatched it and man it is intense uh i forgot but it's also giving me lots of good good like feelings and memories because I feel mm -hmm. like I started watching it right around the time you and I became friends we were hanging out with like all those actors and it's just <laughs> kind of like a fun throwback to be like oh my god 2011 um but so I've been watching that and then I've just been watching really really high level trash like I'm back to just like what can I consume for half an hour before I fall asleep at night and it's like 90 day fiance and you know all my all my garbage. It's it's been a really garbagey consumption week. I have nothing good to bring to the table. But you don't need to beat yourself up. You know, sometimes we we have weeks like that. Like, yes, I did watch Married at First Sight last night. Yes, it is still a garbage fire. But Liza, it's a it's a weird time. I I was just thinking, you know, what will come consumption corner be when everyone is vaccinated and things go back to semi-normal? You know, what will be, we be consuming? Will it be like, I consumed my friends today in person with yeah. no masks, you know? I feel I like I'm not going to watch TV for like five months <laughs> because I'm going to be so happy to like not have to watch TV every night to entertain myself. That's a lie. I'll absolutely keep watching TV. But you know what I mean. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, TV for life. Let's be real. Uh, I love TV. I... Yeah, but I, I just think everyone out there who's like, I'm also watching garbage. Fuck it. Enjoy it. Garbage is great. Um, Just the way, you know, you can have a vegetable and then you can have fried chicken. Like you can have your Breaking Bad, your Better Call Saul, and then you can have your 90 day as well. Okay, I'm very excited for my consumption because it's the first time since, I don't know, early pandemic where I'm like, I discovered a new show and it's so good. The only problem is it's not a new show. Most of you have probably already seen it, but I'm going to pump it up. It is The Great. Liza, have you watched The Great on Hulu? I have not. And I have been meaning to because a, a friend of mine is a writer on that show. And I've been try meaning to support her. And I haven't. Do, do, do. I don't think she listens. But 
I have yes that is very cool I'm so impressed with the writing on that show so that is you know beyond it is in case you were unfamiliar it is a show on Hulu it's not new but it's very good um uh, Elle Fanning plays Catherine the Great uh who uh, young Catherine the Great when she comes to Russia um it is not super historically accurate it is very satirical if you've seen the favorite it's the same uh I believe like I I don't know if he's the showrunner but it's the same dude I'll say the same Your tone somebody uh I forget okay but you're probably right but just you know it like lots of quippy jokes lots of satire and Nicholas Holt who plays Peter the third is so good in this role he is I don't know he's been in so much I looked at his MD- IMDB and I was like I've seen him in so many things but I just he is so good at being this like emperor who's really petulant and but also he's so hot and he's just really funny and this show it like continues to be compelling oh I actually just finished it last night wait that's a bummer I forgot I'm so sad and I I just haven't felt like that about a show in so long it's so I just I feel like I guess it wasn't underrated because a lot of people told me to watch it but if if like you liked even Bridgerton as a period quote-unquote piece this blows that out of the water and it's got all the humor throughout and the totally outlandish satire of like what were these times in Russia and rulers just like yeah we'll kill those people we'll burn those serfs you know just but it's again I just I can't I can't recommend it highly enough I think it fucks so check it out oh I've been honestly meaning to watch it for so long this is like the kick I need I'm really really excited um and also I just think it's hilarious. Nicholas Holt is the little derpy, awkward kid in About a Boy, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's like my favorite piece of weird trivia is that this kid who was so awkward and derpy is now like hot and a really successful actor. It's it's great. He's like another like Neville Longbottom actor situation. Yes. And I just can't get over his performance. It's just blows it out of the water. Perfect. I'm psyched to watch it. Yep. Um, cool. Good consumption. I'm excited. I feel like most of my good show, uh, like a, uh, like maybe 75% of my good show recommendations come from you. So thank you for oh, another one. Please. I feel the same about you. Okay. So you know what we're going to do before we hop into, because that was a, we didn't go on and on about TV and pretend we were a TV podcast. I'm so proud of us. Um, before <laughs> we jump into our interview with Amy, We're going to do one listener question that actually came through in the secret Facebook group on a post for Amy. Like we we posted asking what questions you had for Amy around breakups. And I thought it was a subject we didn't get to touch on with her as much as we'd like to because it came in after we'd already interviewed her, unfortunately. But I wanted to read it, Liza, and see what we thought. Here's the caveat. We're about to talk to the smartest woman on the planet when it comes to breakups. So... This is just like a tease and Liza and I, you know, fake advice style. And then you'll get the real meat and, you know, wisdom from Amy in our next interview portion. But I thought I just wanted to touch on this because I thought it was a good question. So how does one deal with the thoughts of an ex coming up when starting to have sex with someone new? I recently started seeing someone new after having my heart broken a few months ago. When things started getting more physical, I kept having these memories of my ex and started... Missing his touch and the comfortability I had with him that I don't yet have with this new person. I can really get in my head and get sad and therefore cannot get into the mood. Even though my sex life with my ex wasn't mind-blowing, I still find myself missing him. I don't even know 
I don't even feel emotionally attached to my ex anymore. My mind just has these thought patterns. How do I get out of that and start being able to focus on my current guy? Because I really like him and he's really sweet and way more considerate than my ex. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, this is a really tough situation. And also, I've been in this situation for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, I think the most important thing to remember is that you're feeling – what you're missing is that feeling of comfort and comfortability. And that is, I think that can be a false sense. Like, especially if the guy you're, cur- like, look, everybody, the, the beginning of dating can be really, really exciting and fun. And also it's really tough because you don't feel comfortable with someone. You don't feel like, okay, I can, he can like, touch me if my legs are a little bit hairy or, you know, like you don't have those, those things. You feel like you have to be um, kind of on guard a little bit or like just have your, have your sort of like alert up. I don't know what the right idiom I'm looking for is, but like that sucks. That feeling of not just being able to, to be totally at the same level of comfort. But I think basically it's really important to remember, especially since you said that this person is, the new person you're dating is treating you better than your ex did that you're missing like the comfort and not the person and the only thing that you can the only way you can get comfortable with someone is just time and so it might be nice to focus on the things that are like, are great about the beginning of a relationship like comfort is like not having a, t- a full level of comfort with someone is probably the worst thing but the like excitement and the discovery and the silliness and the giddiness all of those parts of it like are really exciting so I would say just trust that I mean this is like I know way easier said than done but like trust that the comfort will come and remember that you're not actually missing the person yeah I think that's exactly it Liza this is so tricky and that's what kind of piqued my interest because it's also so relatable in all sorts of different scenarios and I specifically related to this listener writing that she knows it's like a thought process that's happening to her. It's not – it's different. She's excited about the new person she's dating. It's not about the person – her ex. You know, I've been in situations where I'm pining over someone, going and looking at their Instagram, seeking out – like we've we've broken up at this point and I'm you know, still going to their Instagram, like thinking about the good times. Like that's, that's a story that – like we'll talk about with Amy, a story I have told myself about people I've dated that kind of kept me like from moving forward and moving on. Um, whereas this is not, you're not really telling yourself a story in the same way, but I think the same kind of action to change it has to take place. So by that, I mean, you're aware of it. That's amazing. That's light years up ahead of anyone else. Like Liza said, sex is scary. Sex with a new person is terrifying. Like all of the things surrounding sex with a new person and relationship and feelings, terrifying. So it makes total sense that your mind is like going back to missing this feeling of being so comfortable with someone else. And I think it's about like being a little active around those thoughts. So kind of noticing them. And then I don't, this is where read Amy's book, but uh, thinking about like, a time where your ex wasn't totally great. Like thinking about how inconsiderate. It sounds like he was inconsiderate compared to this guy you're dating now. So put force yourself to go there for a second when those thoughts come in. A little tricky during sex. Yeah. But I think it's just going to be an active process of like being aware as you are and then continuing to 
like nip it in the bud, which I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But I think what Liza shared is really helpful. You just go, okay, wait, wait. That's just, don't mess up the story mind. It's just because I'm feeling less comfortable, which is normal. Like, what did I, why did I leave my ex? And it sounds so basic, but that's like the first thing I can think of. I don't know. And like totally. maybe, maybe. And give yourself time and it, it takes time, you know? Yeah. And again, this is like, it sounds like this is not even the issue, but just thinking like mute or like make sure you can't see your exes if you don't want to unfollow them. Like I, I say unfollow them, but just get them out of like your peripheral vision so that you're not checking in with them in other ways. And again, it sounds like you're not doing that, but just get them out so that the last place they are in these thought patterns and those will change too, but it takes a little bit of time. Totally. And I think that everything Amy, all the other stuff Amy talks about is going to be helpful for, for this question, even though it doesn't yes. speak to it directly because – yeah, it's so much about the way we think and the way we, our our minds can get into these like loops. Um, and I have I cannot even tell you how uh, loopy my brain is, especially around breakups. And it's not that breakups are not my strong suit. I have really turned them into soap operas in the past. I mean, um, <laughs> I mean yeah. my breakups with people who I wasn't even dating became true, like, Lord of the Rings trilogies, you know? I Fully. mean, But yeah. it's funny because, like, I feel like I haven't even done that with, I mean, I haven't even done that with relationships or, like, beginnings of relationships. Like, I think I do that with crushes and with breakups. Like, it's, like, the front <laughs> end and the back end, which is, like, why? If I, you know, I don't know. Well, um, because you know what I know why because the feelings are just so heightened because both parts yeah. of a relationship are just so much more vulnerable the crush part is vulnerable because you don't know what the other person's feeling back towards you is the breakup is vulnerable because you're feeling some rejection even if you're the one who broke up with the person there's just like a it's 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 very vulnerable I think and it makes total sense to you know have a soap opera Totally. Uh, soap operas always make total sense. <laughs> That's what I say. Um, anyway, guys, we are going to take a really quick ad break and then we're going to be back with our interview with Amy Chan. We hope you love it as much as we love talking to her. And we will see you next week and on the internet. <laughs> All right. We are so excited to be joined by Amy Chan, the chief heart hacker herself. We're so excited to talk about your book, Amy. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. This has been a long time coming. You have a lot of fans out there already. And just, you know, for maybe anyone who doesn't know you, um, what is your relationship to relationships? This is our cheesy icebreaker. You can talk about just what dating's been like for you. You know, I've read your book. I know some of this. But for those who don't know you, what's what's been your relationship to relationships? Yeah, my relationship to relationship has definitely evolved because uh, I used to just constantly be heartbroken and I suffered my entire life in the realm of love. And I just always thought something was wrong with me for a couple of decades. And that's what inspired me to write about relationships. I've been a relationship columnist for 12 years now. Um, and as you know, I now have my own book and I founded a breakup boot camp. Um, and so it's changed a lot. And the healthier I became on the inside, the healthier my relationships became from the people I chose to how I showed up in those relationships. And so now I'm in a very healthy uh, partnership. And my relationship to relationship is that 
my relationship does not define me. It is not the reason why I am happy or I'm sad. It is a wonderful bonus to my life. And as much as I love my partner, uh, even if something was to happen and it wasn't to work out, I would be okay. And that's really different because before in any relationship, whether it was one of those half relationships, you know, when you're kind of dating, but not to a full, you know, blown two year committed relationship. If it didn't work out, I would be destroyed and I would be broken into a million pieces because I've based so much of my identity on the person. Yeah, it just it I just have to say it and this is your book resonated so much with me your words do. I I actually before I had heard your read your book, I had heard you on other podcasts and I just think, you know, anyone who's ever had their heart broken or been in any kind of relationship to your point, just what you're saying resonates so much. I used to value myself based on my relationships or lack thereof. So just like first have to shout out how amazing the work you're doing is and how much we appreciate it. Um, And so I guess, you know, when you think about actually sitting down to write the book, what, you know, inspired you to turn it into a book, this, this work and your book has such great tools that are tangible and and readers can actually use. So I'm just curious about kind of, you know, how you made that choice to put it out there as a book. Yeah. So I am now in the fifth year of running breakup boot camps. And these are retreats where we take a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. And I bring in 13 experts from psychologists to behavioral scientists to dominatrixes. And we help people after a breakup or divorce. But what we find every single time is it's never just about the ex, it's recycled pain. And, you know, that terrible breakup, whether it's infidelity or getting ghosted or I was blindsided, I hear that often, was really just the tipping point where um, something, you know, it exploded because of other things that were going on in the background and the baggage that we bring in from relationship to relationship. And so, uh, you know, the boot camps were great. You know, we were, we've been sold out every single one, but it's, it's, you know, it's three days, not everyone can make it. And I just saw how impactful it was for these people. Some of these women have been in an eight-year abusive relationship and couldn't get out. Some are completely devastated after 20 years of marriage. Some are just perpetually single, but dating the same type of unavailable person. And so I wanted to create something that was more accessible and that I you know, could be like the relationship Bible, because I'm sure as you've read, it's not really just about breakups, right? A breakup is a great catalyst because you're finally enough pain to make major changes in your life. Um, But it's really about our patterns and our subconscious beliefs. And we're not taught this stuff in school. We're not taught how do you manage shame and anger and when you feel abandoned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so you know, I, I think that this is such an important book uh, to learn those critical tools that we need to not only navigate our romantic relationships, but our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's so cool. I mean, it's funny. I feel like there's obviously so much out there about dating where one of those one of those like pieces of media out there. But I whenever I've been through a breakup, I felt so unsupported and so out at sea. I just think it's so badass that you're doing this and that there are resources out there. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what the most common things you hear from the people going through breakups at your breakup boot camps are? 
Yeah. So um, I would say about 30% of the people who come are not going through a breakup. They are just frustrated with dating. And often it is, I want commitment. I want this, but I keep, you know, choosing unavailable people. Um, I would say that there's also around 30% who are in a relationship, either off again, on again relationship with someone who shows characteristics of narcissism. Um, there's a lot of love addiction where people feel very addicted to their ex or addicted to the rush um, they get from relationship to relationship. And then this, uh, I hear this often, I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like the rug has been ripped out from underneath me. And there's a sense of I'm completely broken now that the relationship is gone. And that same experience I mentioned where so much identity was put into the relationship and that person. And I think the most common thing out of everyone is they have this plan and it's often a very similar plan, which is date, get married, have children, live happily forever after. And somehow, it doesn't matter if you're 21 or 78, um, or you're from London or Canada or New York City, everyone has the same identical plan. <laughs> and we, we do some digging and we realize often that the person didn't even really like their partner that much, but they were so attached to this plan that without it, they felt completely at a loss. Yeah. It's so powerful. It's, it's amazing to me, despite talking about this all the time and reading books about relationships and, you know, not needing to be married, how just ingrained that story is in me, has been in me. And I think, you know, a different version of the stories we tell ourselves, which we talk about, is that notion of recycled pain. And that's something that is at the center of your book and your work. But I wondered if you could expand on that for our listeners and then maybe give some some advice on how to spot what, what pain someone might be recycling in their own, you know, stories they tell themselves. Yeah. So when I, when I mentioned recycled pain, it's the idea that we, we get wounded, you know, when we were young children and there's what's called big trauma uh, and little trauma. So people think of trauma like, oh no, nothing's happened to me because, you know, I wasn't abused or anything like that, but they could be in these small little things from, you know, feeling neglect from a divorce in the family to maybe one of the parents was an addict. Um, and so what happens is young kids, we develop these, you know, wounds and we learn how to cope with those wounds the best that we can when we are young children. And then we grow up with um, these kind of open wounds and we choose partners who can almost wound us in a very similar way as how we were wounded as children. So it's almost like Groundhog Day where you're repeating the same emotional experience just with different people. And so when I say recycled pain is it's very easy to point the finger of blame and say, oh, no, it's this breakup. It's this person. What a jerk. What an asshole. Whatever it is. What a narcissist, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's very common for people to now pathologize their exes. Um, and, and I think the challenge with doing that is you don't 
necessarily see how you are also accountable. Now, I'm not saying responsible because yes, you can date people and they could do terrible things. And this doesn't mean that you're responsible. But when we don't take a look at how we might have contributed to this emotional experience, if it's one that's repeating, I think we lose out on an opportunity to really heal that wound. And so in terms of what can you do to start identifying, you know, this recycled pattern, I would really like reflect on your last three relationships, write down a list of the 10, five to 10 emotions that kept coming up. And they could be from sadness to excited to joyful. They can be contradicting emotions. And then take a look and look at past your last three ones and see what are the common emotions that are following from relationship to relationship. Is it anxiety? Is it not feeling good enough? Whatever it is. And that's going to be a signal of a reoccurring pattern. And that's where you have a starting point to start digging and be like, well, what's the actual wound? What's the actual belief? And then you can start to shift that. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like, it is so hard to actually sit down and like force yourself to do that work. But the patterns, even as you're talking, I was thinking through, you know, the couple of significant breakups I had in my life and was like, oh, it was the same. And I really wish I had put my finger on that sooner before this conversation right here um but in sort of in the same vein we Kimmy and I both really love the way you distinguish between like feeling emotions and feeding emotions can you talk a little bit about that and and some ways that people can differentiate those two things yeah so I think the very first thing to talk about in terms of emotions is that your emotions aren't good or bad. And when we can learn to not judge our emotions, that's one of the biggest steps because when we judge our emotions, we're resisting them. And that extra shame, that judgment actually just keeps you stuck into that emotion. It's not your fault for feeling whatever you're feeling. Now, it's your responsibility how you respond to those feelings. And when I say feel your emotions, it's you feel it and you understand that the actual um, lifespan of an emotion, it's 90 seconds. That's how long it takes for you once you feel the emotion for it to reach its chemical peak and for it to move through your body. What makes it stay longer is what you feed it. And typically what we feed it are stories. So for example, you might feel anxiety because you texted the person you're dating and you don't hear back for six hours. And so what starts to feel like this kind of tightness in your chest and this feeling of anxiety, which will eventually pass, you then go, well, they must not like me. Oh my gosh, this always happens to me. Dating in whatever city sucks. Uh, people never want to commit. I always do this. How dare this person do that? Right. And then you go and you go and you go. And suddenly that emotion goes from 90 seconds to hours to days. And so feeding our emotions is our, these emotions, they want to stick around longer. And when you are feeling sad, you can choose to, you know, like I'm feeling sad. I'll feel it. You know, maybe I'll call a friend or you can be like, I'm just going to play Coldplay on repeat, right? <laughs> I'm just going to listen to that so song. I'm going to watch Love Actually on TV and just cry because I'm not feeling that, that sort of love. Like you can do things. It's like emotional cutting. And so I think it's really important when you feel an emotion, what are you feeding it? 
Yeah, it's so powerful, especially Coldplay. I feel like when my first kiss broke my heart in like truly eighth grade, I was listening to Coldplay over and over again. And I'm still kind of, you know, shaking my head at myself. But I I think like, I don't know, in your own life, did you have a moment where you kind of caught yourself doing that and then were able to start doing this work? Was it seeing it in a friend? I just feel like so often it's easy to see whether it's, you know, the the stories one tells themselves or the feeding of certain emotions, I can see it in my friends way more easily than I can see it in myself. So curious, like, your relationship to that. And, yeah, that was a lot. Sorry. Yeah. So when I went through my big traumatic breakup, which is the reason why I started Breakup Boot Camp, uh, I did all of these things. I, I did everything that I tell people not to do. Um, and that's why I know not to do them because I saw <laughs> where it got me, right? I played Fix You on repeat. I watched Love Actually on repeat. I did, um, you know, I isolated myself. I stopped eating. I did all these things that just made my emotional state worse and worse and worse. And so it wasn't until I started to research and learn and interview different scientists and doctors and understand what's actually going on a biological level, a psycho- uh, on a psychological level, that I started to understand what are the tools. Um, and then I started to practice them because once you have this awareness, the next time something happens, that's when you actually can make a conscious choice. When you don't have the awareness, you just kind of go back into habit. But when you have the awareness, you're like, oh, I can go do that thing that makes me feel really, really bad about myself. I now know the terminology for it. I can label it. Oh, it's emotional cutting. Okay, I'm feeding the emotional monster. And I actually imagine, and there's a photo, like a doodle I wrote in my book like of a Pac-Man face. And it's like, what are you feeding? And I picture that and it helps me. I'm like, okay, how's my body language? I'm like, oh, I'm crouching down. I'm like, okay, put it up, right? What song? I, and you know, I'm going to put on Beyonce. Like yeah. I, I just make conscious choices and then I see the result of that. And then what happens is you have a, a, a positive feedback loop. You realize, oh, this actually helps me. And that reinforces the new behavior. So now these different tools, it's not so contrived every time because it's over time you repeat it and these new patterns of behavior start to replace the old patterns of coping. Yeah. It's so powerful. Just, we love tools here. Right, <laughs> I mean, a hundred percent. Speaking of which I like, I feel like I'm grilling you on a lot of tools in your book, but I also am hoping that everyone goes and reads the book because it's um, super, super helpful. But you have um, so many tangible exercises. Kimmy and I both really like the who's in your village exercise, um, which kind of is forcing you to like look about, look at how you feel, how the people around you support you, don't support you, whatever. Do you have a favorite exercise for people going through breakups? Do you have like a first step exercise? Right. So um, so there's two parts to this question. I think one part is what do you do after a breakup? And the second part is uh, how do you kind of create a village that supports you? And so for the first part, it depends on what stage you are in a breakup. And um, there's commonly known like the six stages of, of grief, which go uh, shock, uh, shock and denial, depression, anger, um, bargaining, and then acceptance. And I actually add a stage to that, which is accountability. And that comes right before acceptance. And when you're healing from a breakup, you're going to bounce back and forth between all of these. Uh, So it's not linear. And so, you know, when you first are in a breakup, 
I don't suggest that you do any cognitive exercises. You don't go into your brain. Your body needs to feel it. If you uh, kind of disassociate by thinking it out, you're actually going to not process those emotions and it gets trapped in your body. So, you know, when you're in the shock stage, you just allow yourself to feel all of it. And yes, it sucks. And there is no fast forward button. That's just part of what happens when you're separating because you have all these chemicals that are now working in reverse, right? When you first meet someone, you're filled with dopamine and oxytocin, all these feel good chemicals. When you're breaking up, it's all those chemicals, but in reverse. And they've done actually studies uh, scanning the brain. And they've seen that after a breakup, uh, the part of the brain that's activated is similar to someone who is feeding for their fix when they're addicted to drugs. So you're literally in withdrawal. Uh, I do recommend right away that you have no contact for a minimum of 60 days. And the reason behind this is because you have neural pathways that have been wired together when you were in your relationship and you need time and space in order to have those old neural pathways prune away. But if you keep checking their Instagram, if you keep checking in with them or trying to be friends, you actually just strengthen those old neural pathways. Um, and so, yeah, it really depends on your stage. And I think once you hit the stage of um, you know, anger, uh, which is actually a good sign because it shows energy is moving. I think at that point is a great time to start looking at the story and identifying what's a facts, what are the fiction. And in my book, there's an actual process of like identifying the key thinking traps so that you can deal with reality based facts versus this fantasy in your head. Um, so I think that's the answer the first part. Should I talk about the tribe? your village yeah sorry I could not have been less clear about that but but yeah I would (laughs) I would love for you to yeah just talk a little bit about about what that um sort of exercise is yeah so a lot of people think that expect you know like they just want to meet that person and um you know they're just going to meet someone who's secure and all their anxiety is going to go away and everything's going to be great this isn't necessarily the case so if you are surrounded by people where you feel unsafe with, where you're constantly feeling judged, um, you are not, you don't have the necessary neural pathways for healthy connection and trust that's developed in your brain. And so who you're surrounded with is really important. And now this is who you have exposure to. So it's not about who you love the most. If you look at the five to 10 people that you have the most exposure to, this can include your roommate. This can include, you know, the person that walks your dog, your coworkers. These are the people who are shaping and molding your brain. And so one of the exercises in the book is to take a look at your complete village and you identify, are they low safety, medium safety, or high safety relationships? And the low safety relationships you want to decrease your exposure to, the high safety you want to increase exposure to, and the medium safety ones are the ones where you want to start to renegotiate how your dynamic is. That might mean you start communicating your boundaries or your needs so that you can hopefully evolve that relationship so it can be a high safety relationship. And this is important because once your village is filled with high safety relationships, you start building those necessary neural pathways for trust and connection. And that will help you in your relationships with romantic partners. 
I love that. And I think the reason Liza and I both kind of spotted that and talked about it was because I felt like it's just such a great, as with many of the tools in the book, but it's such a great exercise even when you're not, you know, going through a breakup. It's just an excellent as you like, especially when I'm now a ripe old 32, but my in my 20s, my friendships from the beginning of my 20s to the end of them changed so drastically. The people I surrounded myself with, the people I worked with, and I just, again, think that was a really powerful um exercise and tool for me right now in my life so selfishly thank you for shouting that out and then back to kind of the first part of your answer to Liza's question and separating fact from fiction and I just love all of that work you do as well and I really love when you talk about I have this pulled up because I just it's a quote from Trish um Renew's life coach the hope will fuck you so that her quote right there just for me I think I needed it right now in my life but I feel like just we got a lot of questions and I can read one of them, but about how to, within a breakup, like stop hanging on to that nugget of hope and move past it. And you talk about it so much in your book, but yeah, here's one. How do you move past missing someone after they break up with you? Um, Especially when you can't get back out there during a pandemic. That was the specific one, but generally not holding on to that person is so hard. So would love your thoughts. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of um, something that people do after a breakup. And one thing that they do is they vilify their ex. So that's one route. This, uh, and, and here's the reality. If you are still blaming your ex, psychoanalyzing your ex, vilifying your ex, or hoping for your ex to change, you're still in a relationship with your ex. And this can go on for months, if not years. And you're basically in a relationship with someone who's not in a relationship with you. And so the quicker you can shift the focus from what your ex did or did not do or the closure they are not giving you, the quicker you can actually work on your recovery. Um, Another thing that people do is they start to put their ex on a pedestal and then they forget all of the, you know, parts of the relationship that didn't work. Uh, They forget the reasons why there was a breakup. Um, and then there, this is when there's a lot of self-blame and they're like, I should have done this. I shouldn't have done this. If only I didn't do this. Um, and that again is, uh, it's a thinking trap. It's a very common thinking trap that human beings are privy to. And it's being in fantasy and not in reality. So much of our suffering is based on us not being in reality. And so I think being able to identify when you are creating stories, whether they are stories that are holding on to pain to hold on to the relationship or holding on to this hope that someone's going to change and then suddenly you're going to be happy again. Um, the quicker you can identify that that's fantasy uh, and it's disempowering, the quicker you can you know, get on your feet and to start creating your new reality. And so I really encourage people to create an empowering fantasy. And this is actually taught by our dominatrix, Colette, who, I mean, she plays with fantasy, um, you know, in what she does. And when we're in a disempowering fantasy, that is when we're like hoping for someone to change, for a situation to change. It's disempowering because we have absolutely no control over what happens. But an empowering fantasy is something that we do have control over. And that might mean, especially during this pandemic, you write that book you've always wanted to write. 
You've always wanted to be a dancer. Learn how to be the best fucking dancer you possibly can on YouTube, right? Learn a class, whatever it is. You've always loved Spanish, like, you know, go, you know, anything that reminds you of Spain, learn Spanish, Mm -hmm. right? Direct your focus or your energy into an empowering fantasy. You'll get a positive feedback loop that'll make you feel good. You'll get those chemicals that you need that are missing from the relationship. And slowly but surely, your attention will continuously go to this other thing that's giving you light. And you will naturally start to minimize this missing, this neediness of this past person. Yeah. Oh, I'm fired up and I, I feel like I'm doing okay heart-wise right now. But it's just like channeling your energy elsewhere is so, so powerful. Um, Completely. Yeah. I'm going to read one other listener question. It's a slightly different – I mean, it's a little bit different. But um, basically she's asking, how do, how do I know if I've emotionally moved on from an ex? How do I know if a pers- prospective partner has moved on from their ex? Like yeah. basically like how do you, is there a way of, of knowing I've struggled with this myself of like, I feel great. I'm definitely over this. And then somehow it pops back up and it's sort of hard to tell when the right moment to jump back into dating is to let yourself be vulnerable, vulnerable again. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think that's a great question, Liza, because if it's, if it's a question to ask, when am I ready to date again? I think there's, there's different approaches. I don't think you necessarily need to go, I'm completely over someone and then I can go to the next person. Uh, And for some people it is, right? But it's not so cut and dry. Your relationship will end, might end, but the love doesn't necessarily die. Um, I know for me in my breakup, the devastating one from, from 10 years ago, uh, the relationship ended. I spent two and a half years hating him, um, but the love never died. And today we're really good friends and the love transformed. And so, you know, I, I think that there's also a difference when you are dating as a way to disassociate from the pain and distract yourself and not process what happened. And that's when you get that compound trauma that, that you know, baggage that follows you know, from person to person. Um, And so I think if you want to know if you're over someone, it's to look at, is there still an emotional charge there? And the question to ask yourself is, if your ex was to walk into a room with a new person that they're dating, will you crumble? How will you feel? Or will you be able to be like, you know, I want, I just want the best for this person and um, not have hatred or not have like any charge towards that person I think that's a pretty good indicator that you're over it yeah I mean it's the dream (laughs) you know when you're truly like oh great I'm so happy for you and your new person but I feel like anyone listening out there you've got to think back to even crushes you've had like that moment comes that moment comes where you can look back on the most painful times in the heartbreak I think at least and truly be like okay I feel differently about that now I'm not in it I've you know, healed. Um, And Amy, this is, it's not a specific question we got, but it's a question we get a lot of the time. We're a podcast about dating and going on a lot of first dates. And a lot of our listeners are kind of like, what is valid to be upset about in terms of a breakup? You know, you mentioned half relationships, but how do you feel about people giving themselves the same kind of, you know, space and tools when they're 
you know, upset after a few dates that didn't turn out the way they wanted them to. So it's it's a different kind of breakup. But I'm just curious about your thoughts. I know our listeners are really curious about that. Yeah. So, I mean, th- that used to be me, like one day and I'm <laughs> so invested in the person and it's like devastating after it, it doesn't work out. And so um, the reason this happens is t- I would say typically uh, it is when someone has an anxious attachment style, mm-hmm. meaning um, they fundamentally fear abandonment and rejection and they have a pretty um, hyper like hyperactive nervous system. And so there's a a very strong abandonment wound. So this kind of fear of abandonment is kind of constantly kicking around. Um, Because after dating someone, you know, going on three dates with someone, you don't know the person. Mm -hmm. So to say like that is love is probably not quite true um, for most cases. And so, um, people who have an anxious attachment style or who experience codependency or love addiction may have more of a tendency to create fantasies Mm -hmm. about people. And so this is, you know, date one, it's even playing field, you have mutual interest. And then they mention, you know, that they love yoga and goats. And then between date one and date two, you've already fantasized about your farm in Ibiza with a yoga goat cafe. <laughs> and you've gotten married and you've had, you know, three kids and started dance school together, right? Like you've lived out this whole world in your head. And that other person is just on date two. Meanwhile, you've had three lifetimes with them. And so when you are in fantasy world, uh, you are also creating those chemicals. You're getting more and more dopamine. Uh, Dopamine is a very addictive chemical. And so you're just on a biological level, it's your from date one to date two, it's different. And so what I would recommend is if this is a pattern where you get really hooked on someone after a few dates is you get an accountability partner to keep you um, grounded in timing things out. So that means don't do four dates in a row with this person. Yeah. If that's your tendency, right? Just be, you need to be a bit more disciplined about it while you start to heal whatever it is that causes you to meet someone and want to merge with them right away. That comes from a wound that doesn't come from healthy love. And so, um, you know, then that's when you have to put in these tools to kind of help you do that. And I think also with intimacy, right? Like I just was working with someone who was just gutted. Like they went on a first date, they, they met on Tinder, they didn't even have each other's phone numbers. Um, and the guy stayed over and, you know, next day she messaged was like, let's do this again. He's like, sure, sure, sure. And then she's never, never heard from him. And, and she's completely devastated. And so, you know, before you share the most intimate parts of yourself, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, take the time to allow rapport and trust to build so that you know that this person isn't going to just ghost you, right? Like give it some time because otherwise these are just strangers. Yeah. And it's so, it's so much about coming back to just, you're, you're creating these stories with these people who are strangers. And that comes back to that recycled pain, at least for me, when I was doing things like that or getting upset after a first date. Um, Yeah. And it full circles to the first thing you said in this whole conversation, which is like, we 
we put so much of our the onus of our happiness on other people when that's such a like myth you know like I'm I've been in a relationship for seven and a half years or something and I've been like happy sad depressed Mm -hmm. you know it's it's the it's just it's um I I wouldn't have believed myself if I had been hearing myself before this relationship Mm -hmm. but it's a there's so it's so tempting to write the story when you think the story will like be the key to your happiness but it's just not (laughs) (laughs) that feels like a very weirdly downbeat thing to say towards the end of this interview. I have I but have I promise one I have an oh do you have one Liza okay no 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 you go for it well I was thinking this is like cheesy from the other end and we've probably already touched on it but Amy when you think back to kind of your dating days and before your big breakup and before gaining all this wisdom and starting this entire company what is like the if you could only give like one nugget of advice or just wisdom to your younger self um, dating or, and to anyone out there who's, you know, dating in the ways that we see memed, app dating, you know, half situationships, whatever. What would you tell yourself? I would say that the, the love story has always been about you. Um, so if I was talking to myself, the love story has always been about me. I... Mm. And the heroine of the story and all these people from the guy who ghosted to the tear relationship to the half relationships, they're just characters in my story and the breakups, the romantic times, all of it, they're just plot twists and they help you build your own character. They help you develop that wisdom that you only can learn through going through it and so I don't think that breakups are a bad thing. I think that you don't need to repeat the same suffering over and over again. Um, and, you know, I don't have regrets, but I spent a lot of time in pain over the same thing because I didn't mm-hmm. heal certain stuff. And that time I could have spent creating stuff. I probably could have been Oprah Winfrey by now, you know? <laughs> Like you I definitely wasted could <laughs> a lot of energy on that. And that's part of why I do what I do. You don't have to go through so much suffering for decades to get to a place where you have self-respect for yourself and that the very ground that you are standing on is not based on someone else. Um, and it's still a practice. I, I have a former anxious attachment style, former codependent style. Uh, I was super needy and over giver, pleaser, like all of it. And to this day, like I have to, there's maintenance that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to check in with myself so I don't lose myself in a relationship that I, even though it's more comfortable for me to like be with my boyfriend all day, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I know what that is. So like, you know, continue to craft your own identity and that's an active practice, but it doesn't, you don't just go like, okay, you know, I'm on cruise control now. And like all's gravy. No, this work is continuous. And I think that now I'm at a place where I'm not afraid to love with an open heart because 
what's anyone going to do to me? And I think that is part of the reason why I have a healthy partnership. Um, Before I met my partner, I was actually, you know, not heartbroken, but I was really sad about um, a relationship, an early relationship that didn't work out. And I remember this moment, I was in front of my mirror in New York City and I was just bawling and I was like talking to God. I was like, God, universe, whoever's out there, like, why is this happening to me? Like I help people, like I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment, I remembered a quote that I tell the women who come to Renew and it's our greatest lesson in this lifetime is to practice opening our hearts, even when it hurts especially when it hurts. And I was like, fuck this. I am not going to let this person that just isn't my fit. And I didn't, you know, vilify the person. I was just like, this person isn't my fit. I'm not going to let him be the reason why I guard my heart and go in a detox now and like, just kind of, you know, go in and, and feel, you know, sad. And I don't put myself out there. I'm like, fuck that. I went on a dating app and I'm like, I can keep opening up my heart and I can, I can be stronger and stronger. And, you know, I matched with my partner and a week later we had our first date. And, um, I think that wouldn't have happened if I haven't gone through all of this stuff only to realize that I'm really resilient and I have the tools to pick myself back up. And that's why I don't have fear in my relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's also a secure partner, but I don't have this anxiety like, oh my God, what's going to happen if it doesn't work? I will always be okay. I know that because my sense of okayness comes from inside. Ah, yes. <laughs> Incredible. True, true Oprah level. Somebody needle point it on a pillow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Amy, this has been so great. I know everyone's going to really love this. And I I wish I had had a conversation with you, like I said, when I've been going through some really neurotic breakups. Um, Please tell everyone where they can find you, find your book. Yeah. So my website's renewbreakupbootcamp.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Miss Amy Chan. Um, And yeah, my book is available at bookstores. If you buy it on Amazon, please write me a review. That really helps new authors. Um, Yeah. Awesome. All of that's going to be linked below. uh, So it's super easy for everyone to find. And thank you so much for joining us, Amy. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. 